I think my whole life's work really might be adding up to like increase psychological literacy. And I know it doesn't solve all the world's problems, but imagine a place where our political leaders, you know, our industry leaders, our classroom teachers, our like neighborhood cops, like our whatever, like we're really just psychologically wise. They understood emotion. They understood, you know, when people are insecure, what happens to us when we do things out of fear? Like, you know, how do we build these things? Like, I don't know. It's a pretty great world. Okay, welcome back or welcome to the Finding Mastery Podcast. I'm Michael Gervais, and by trade and training, I'm a sport and performance psychologist, fortunate to work with some of the most extraordinary thinkers and doers across the planet. The whole idea behind these conversations is to learn from people, to pull back the curtain, to explore how these extraordinaries have committed to mastering both their craft and their minds. And I hope you would recognize that our minds as humans are one of our greatest assets. If you want to learn more about how you can train your mind, this is just a quick reminder here to check out the online psychological training course that we built, where we pulled together the best practices to meet that unique intersection of the psychology of high performance and the psychology of well-being. We walk through 16 essential principles and skills for you to train your mind in the same way that we train world-class athletes. You can find all of that at findingmastery.net forward slash course. Finding Mastery is brought to you by Bubs Naturals. Like you, I am mindful about what I put into my body. So for me, it usually comes down to ingredients and simplicity. The shorter the list, the better. And that's why I've been loving Bubs Naturals. Bubs creates products with high quality, all natural ingredients that are designed to help us get after the adventures in life. For years, I've been a huge fan of their hydrate or die electrolyte mix. I mean, that's a fun title for a product, isn't it? It only has six total ingredients. It's packed with electrolytes. I love the taste. No added sugar, no artificial flavors, none of that stuff. It's great for post-workout recovery. That's when I use it. And I also use it during long periods of travel, which I've been doing a lot lately. And so thank you for the hydration here. And a ton of athletes that I know swear by them too. They're currently in just about every MLB locker room. They work closely with the Red Sox, the Yankees, I know the Rangers, Cardinals, Diamondbacks, and and many more, of course. I'd love for you to go check them out. I think they're doing a really nice job. Just head to bubsnaturals.com slash findingmastery and enter the code findingmastery at checkout for 20% off your first purchase. Again, that's bubsnaturals, B-U-B-S naturals.com slash findingmastery with the code findingmastery for 20% off your first purchase. Finding Mastery is brought to you by Hims. Hims is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-informed treatments for erectile dysfunction (ED), hair loss, weight loss, and more. Health struggles like ED are common, but they can be hard to talk about when it comes to finding a solution. That's why Hims has been a game changer for so many men. The entire process is 100% online, and if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and in discreet packaging. No waiting rooms, no pharmacy visits. Plus, you can manage your plan directly on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. So if you or a loved one has been struggling with ED, 
I really want to encourage you to go check out hymns. And I know ED often has a psychological component as well. So be sure that you're stacking some psychological best practices into your daily routine as well. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash finding mastery. That's hymns, H-I-M-S dot com slash finding mastery for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash finding mastery. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash EOF for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Now, this week's conversation is with Dr. Angela Duckworth, the founder and CEO of Character Lab, a nonprofit whose mission is to advance scientific insights that help children thrive. She is also the Rosa Lee and Egbert Chang Professor at the University of Pennsylvania, faculty co-director of the Penn Wharton Behavior Change for Good Initiative, and faculty co-director of Wharton People Analytics. As a 2013 MacArthur Fellow, Angela has advised the World Bank, NBA, NFL teams, and Fortune 500 CEOs. When we talk about excellence, and certainly in this case, academic excellence, look at her body of work here. Undergraduate degree in advanced studies, neurobiology at Harvard, graduating magna cum laude. How cool is that? With the support of a Marshall Scholarship, she completed a master's in science with distinction in neuroscience from Oxford University. Then she completed her PhD in psychology as a National Science Foundation graduate fellow at the University of Pennsylvania. Many of us know Angela from her book, Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. It was a number one New York Times bestseller, which was the impetus of our first Finding Mastery conversation back in 2016. And that episode is episode 29, if you're looking for it. But I wanted to have Angela back on to discuss her new research on character and how character development can be actioned to benefit others, and of course, oneself. So as Angela says, the term character is used too vaguely most of the time. So she shares the three dimensions of character and ways to train them. She is incredibly grounded in the scientific evidence on how character strengths like self-control, curiosity, and gratitude are critically important to social and emotional well-being, as well as physical health and even achievement. Angela is amazing. Her work is a gift to us all. This conversation and our friendship for that matter is a breath of fresh air. It's, it's life-giving and life-lifting. And I hope that you find her work to be meaningful in your life as well. And with that, let's jump right into this week's conversation with a true legend and a friend, Dr. Angela Duckworth. Angela, how are you? I'm good, Mike. I'm uh, better than I was at the end of 2021. I'm, I'm good. Okay, well... We're not going to just gloss over that. Um, <laughs> yeah. A little bit of a, a lot teaser, of people I guess. Struggled, yeah, at the end of 2021, I think it's been well, it's been a couple hard couple of years, but um, yeah. without too descript, like what was going on? I went on vacation with my family to Miami, and uh, right there, I think I would say like vacation for me is like not usually where I want to be. I think I. Uh, I think I think I I just vastly prefer working than being on vacation. But I was making it okay. I was like surviving, um, like being away from from my work, my research, and um, and then 
we went snorkeling. We were like off the coast of somewhere south of Miami and my close to 87 year old mom nearly drowned. Mm. The happy ending, by the way, is that she didn't drown, but between almost drowning and drowning, there was uh, the ER, the ICU, the hospital, and, and then a few other misadventures. So anyway, all that happened. But by the time January 1st rolled around, like we were, we were approaching like the equilibrium that we had before the vacation and all that. So that's what I mean by I'm, I'm feeling great relatively Mike. I'm feeling great. Okay. All right. Good. All right. Uh, health is in order. Um, purpose is in order. It sounds like your relationships are healthy and, um, people are doing okay. So kind of the big rocks are in place for you. Yeah. The big rocks are there. And I will tell you like all life threatening or, you know, I think there's nothing quite, um, you know, the same as like watching your own mother possibly have her uh, life ending. Um, but you get to look at your rocks and you get to say like, which ones are the big ones and which ones are the little ones. And so um, I do feel like I have some perspective, you know, there's always a gift in every situation. and The gift is almost always perspective for me. Well, there's a couple of gems that you're dropping. One is a framework of optimism, a framework of hope, a framework of finding what's good. And then you've also got something you said, I'd rather be uh, working than vacationing. So that's interesting as a, as a framework. And then the other that you, you share is that um, you might, and it's a hint, and so wave me off if I'm wrong, but this might have been a traumatic experience for you. We'll start with the end about trauma. So I did have this experience when I was out in the ocean with my mother while she was not breathing and turning blue. And we were literally... Uh, well, we, I guess we weren't literally in the middle of the ocean. We were far from the boat that was supposed to be keeping an eye on us. We were apparently far enough from anyone's eyesight or earshot that my cries for help, like somebody help, it was like a movie. I was like, somebody help me, like help, help. Uh, like nobody could apparently see or hear us. And uh, in that moment, I think just a tiny part of my brain was like, oh, this is where PTSD comes from. Like just a tiny part of my brain. Most of my brain was like, you know, just trying to figure out what to do. But a tiny part of me was like, huh, this is, yeah. And I have never, Mike, I honestly have to say, I don't think I've ever experienced terror, like that terror in my life. I have been afraid before. Um, I have probably done stupid things where I should have been more afraid. But in that moment, there were you know, minutes of like sheer terror. Um, and then, you know, dread, you know, following that. Cause it's like, is she, is she now going to be brain dead? Like is, is, uh, you know, is she, is she going to like make it out of the ER? Um, so there was trauma. I had to Google, I mean, this is ridiculous, but I was talking to my therapist. Why was I talking to my therapist? I hadn't talked to my therapist in 10 years, but my uh, daughter said to me, my daughter's 20. She's like, you know, you have to go to therapy. And I was like, I don't want to go to therapy. And she was like, nobody ever wants to go to therapy. And I was like, yeah, that's probably true. So I got in touch with my therapist. I recounted this. She was like, yeah, you never want to see me. And I was like, true. Um, anyway, I was talking to my therapist um, because I knew at some intellectual level that one ought to do something like that after. And we did talk about trauma and um, I guess what's called acute stress disorder. There's like 
the 30 days after a traumatic event and like, you know, are you experiencing any of these symptoms? You know, Within 30 is acute stress. And then post 30 is where you meet some of the criteria from a timeline. Post stress, right? Yeah, PTSD, right. post-traumatic, mm-hmm. sorry. Yeah. That's right. So anyway, I will tell you this. I think that I, uh, in the very immediate aftermath, probably had some you know, you know, like I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't eating, I was like obsessively, you know, Googling drowning and so forth. But I think the difference for me was, and maybe this is like less relevant to most of you, like my mother lived, you know, I was so grateful. I was euphoric. I was shocked. Like that my mother is from all perspectives, like completely fine. Uh, and so I probably would otherwise have, you know, a much you know, different, um, you know, like feeling right now, I probably wouldn't be like talking to you. I don't know what I would be doing, but, um, Mm -hmm. that was, Mm -hmm. that was like the sequence of things. Um, during this, I do want to say this, like my mom, like, I think her first text to me, um, from the hospital when she got her phone and she like was able to not, not so much on oxygen that she could, she said, like, I'm an optimist. Um, I was like, this is a funny text to get from my close to 87 year old, not dead mother. Like I'm an optimist and I'm so glad that we have something to learn. Um, and you know, I'm fine. And, um, like really looking forward to thinking about what we all learned in this situation. So I don't know if I'm an optimist, but my mom is definitely an optimist. That's a teacher too. Yeah. So she's a seeker to understand deeper. And committed, it sounds like her whole life to grow, even in the face of something that was life altering, potentially at least. Yeah. And, and, and even at 87, right, where, you know, you might think like, are you still um, eager to grow? Like apparently. What a cool role model. My mom is like, like the bestest person. I have to say that she is uh, definitely the goodest person. Like she is a good person, like to her so, and you know, in these um, states of compromise, maybe Mike, as a psychologist, especially, you know, you've seen so many people and so many, you know, different kinds of adverse circumstances. I do think there's something like revealing. It's like, you know, it's like your prefrontal cortex might not be on. You're sort of like stripped down to like your, your basic impulses. And so, and in those states, for example, when my mother was like just coming back to life, you know, right after the CPR, like, you know, she could barely talk. It's like, you know, what she is stripped down to like, nothing is just a good person who was like her first thoughts was like, you know, is everyone okay? I'm sorry. (laughs) Like, like, are you okay? And I, you know, I, you know, I have to say that like, if I grow up to be half the person, well, I guess I'm already grown up. If I, if I could ever be half the person my mom is, I'd be, I'd be very proud. And I love hearing this because you're bringing up another part of it. I, I, I'm still not clear if you're out of the acute phase or technically in the, in the post 30, but still, still within 30, it's still, within, still 30. within 30. Yeah. And the label of PTSD and there's criteria, it's life-threatening to yourself or others. Like it's some sort of event that really will jar a person, but the label isn't quite right. Post-traumatic is right. Stress disorder, I guess, is correct. But really what it does is it forces somebody to reorganize mm. and a lifestyle to avoid being re-traumatized. Hmm. So you so think that's an, what really is going on when that's we talk totally about- totally what's going on. That's interesting. And this is why, yeah. yeah, so it's avoiding re-traumatization. 
So, right. so what do we do? We are amazing species, you know, like we are an amazing, I don't want to say machine. That's not it. Like the ecosystem is beautiful. And when something like that happens, we are supposed to be alerted to it. And so say there was a particular smell or a color or a sound that you heard, and it was even yeah. below conscious that your brain would say, yeah, don't get near that again. Right. Kind of like hand, food poisoning and being like, yeah, exactly. don't eat that again. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, so, so that you can watch that. Like, am I avoiding being on a boat near water, washing my face? You know, well, I'll like, tell you this, you know what, like a subsequent text, not one day afterwards, my mom apparently is going to go to Barbados to see my sister and she's like, I know this sounds crazy, but I think I'm going to go snorkeling. And I was like, really? She was like, oh, but definitely in shallower water. You know, I'll make sure. I'm like, uh-huh. great. Go, just go for it. Um, yeah, I, I will watch myself. I seem to see none of these like avoidant behaviors in her. Um, uh, yeah, I will watch it. I, that is a very interesting thing. It's almost like yeah. we learn, but we learn sort of like overlearn or we learn the wrong lesson, right? But there is something where we're like trying to adapt and learn, but we're we're sort of like taking the wrong lesson or making the wrong adaptation. Well, we're from a evolutionary standpoint, we're making the right lesson, which is stay away from the right. foul smelling something. You know, right. stay it away from it just turns that. out not to be necessarily like adaptive in the long, but yes, there's the understandable yes, right. reaction, right? Yeah, that, yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. So it's a survival mechanism as opposed to a optimization, you know? And so yeah, very cool. Um and you know, you also like back to mom is that when we're going through something heavy, we're stripped down. And then also when we're witnessing something in your role, we're stripped down. So you see, this is why I, one of the reasons I'm so in love with the, the life of getting to the frontier, whether that's Mm. in an academic or an athletic standpoint, like Mm. really pushing to the edges, because when you are on the edge, you want 100% know it because every mechanism in your body is true. And either you have the internal skills to dance on the edge, or you're hmm. doing everything you can to get away from it. Some, hmm. you know, the, the two kind of uh, orthogonal extremes there. And so- What happens when we're not on the edge, right? So like what happens when you're not in the middle of the ocean trying to like, you know, tread water and scream for help? Like what, what happens when you're just living life and you're, you're far away from the frontier? Well, so in my model, those are the times when we're training, developing, growing, because we, all humans will be tested. Mm. Elite athletes, elite musicians, artists, fundamentally organize their day to be tested every day, Mm. right? From a physical, Mm -hmm. from a mental, from an emotional, sometimes a life perspective, spiritual standpoint, technically for sure, they fundamentally, that's a key word, they Mm. fundamentally organize their life to be tested. Where the rest of us, life is pretty hard and stressful, and it's because we don't have the fundamental commitments in place, and we don't have the fundamental psychological skills to kind of go test. We're just trying to get relief because we're tired and we're struggling with like the big order of things, you know, Mm. purpose and whatever. So so let's segue right into what I thought we were going to talk about mostly, which is character. So it's been over five years, Angela, since you were on the podcast. No way. I don't yes. believe you. Well, it hasn't yes. been five years since we talked, but okay. No, 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 no. Five yeah, years since yeah. I've been on this podcast. All right. Yeah, I know. Okay. I mean, Half a decade. It, it should be 
It's almost embarrassing, isn't it? <laughs> so it should be like, we should have a regular segment, you know, like the, <laughs> yeah. the wisdom from Angela, like it should be a corner staple of what we're doing. I don't think doing, I have but, enough things to say. Yeah, oh, please. So you, when we were first connected, you were deep in the trenches on grit. And I don't say yeah. this lightly, but you are world recognized for passion, perseverance, the organization of living a particular way in an aspirational way. And so like, awesome. And I know that you've been pivoting and you've been, I don't want to say more interested, but you've been working on character. And let's just talk about the migration from grit to character and why and what's happening for you there. You know, it's a question to begin with. What is character, right? Like, what is character? We use that phrase a lot. Maybe don't use it enough. Um, I think of character the same way Aristotle, I think, thought of character um, which is, you know, character is everything that you do, everything that you think, everything that you feel, and everything that you say that is both good for others and good for you. Um, and to paraphrase Aristotle, I think like a life well lived, right? You know, one thing that this incident with my mother nearly drowning taught me is that my mother will not be around forever. You know, like, thank God she didn't die on that day, but there will be a day where she is not here. And there will be a day when I am not here. And I think Aristotle, you know, thinking about the finiteness of life said a life that is well-lived um, is a life that is, you know, done in service to others as well as yourself. And then if you unpack character, right, because it must be that there are more than you know, one thing, like one more than one aspect of like, like, what does it mean um, to do that? Um, I think you say, well, obviously it's got to be like being honest, right? Like having integrity, being principled. Well, there's got to be some component in there about humility, you know, knowing that like everything that you know could be wrong um, or that somebody else could be right and disagree with you. There's got to be kindness in there, right? Like having a genuine affection for your fellow person, what about generosity, you know, giving, giving everything like, well, the list keeps growing. I think somewhere down the line, maybe like eight or nine, you'd say something that looks like grit, right? Like what about perseverance in the face of setbacks and, you know, pursuing things that have purpose to you? Okay. That sounds like character too. I think of Aristotle when I think of, you know, what I want to be myself. I think of of this one, I think of my two daughters who are now 18 and 20, I guess they were, um, well, five years younger um, when last we spoke. And it's really clear to me that character is probably what we should be focusing on. And grit is just one component of it. Not one that I want to diminish because like you, Mike, I think you and I probably personally enjoy high performance and excellence. Like it is a pleasure for us to see someone who is truly at the top of their game, whether it's a game like a sport or whether they're like a three-star, you know, Michelin chef or a great journalist or writer, whatever it is. So I think grit is important, but I think it's a facet of character that as a mother, as a, as a person, as a performer, I, I wouldn't even necessarily count as the most important aspect of my own character or the people that I admire. So I don't know if it's a pivot because in a way I have to say at the same time that as a scientist, you know, you have to specialize. It's like, you know, like an athlete, right? Like you can't play all sports equally well. So I, I do study grit and I'm, you know, continuing to study grit now, five years after the last time we talked, but I, I more, more and more want to like 
basically get all the researchers and psychologists who study all of these facets of character to come together and say, like, here's the stuff that we know, you know, that's useful. And also just, um, you know, here's how we can, you know, do more of like this good work. Like, how do we like find out more about these aspects of character? Finding Mastery is brought to you by Apollo Neuro. I am really excited about what Apollo Neuro is building. If you haven't had the chance yet, I highly recommend that you go check out the conversation I had with our co-founder, Dr. David Rabin, on the podcast. It is well worth a listen. Unlike traditional wearables that simply track your biometrics, Apollo is doing it totally differently. Apollo Neuro is designed to actively improve your health by enhancing sleep, relaxation, energy, and focus. So how's it work? Developed by neuroscientists and physicians, Apollo delivers these soothing little vibrations. They call them Apollo vibes that are like music your body can feel. More rapid vibrations help to improve your energy and focus, while the slower vibrations help to promote rest and digest in your body. And the best part for me, they're grounded in good science. Apollo has been tested by thousands of users in clinical and real-world trials. I would love for you to give it a go. It's making a meaningful difference in my life. And because you're listening to this podcast, you can receive an exclusive 15% off an Apollo wearable. Just head to apolloneuro.com slash findingmastery and use the code findingmastery at checkout. This is an exclusive offer. It's only for us here at Finding Mastery. So be sure to use the code at checkout. Again, that's Apollo, A-P-O-L-L-O, Apollo Neuro, N-E-U-R-O, apolloneuro.com slash findingmastery, or use the code findingmastery at checkout for 15% off your purchase. Finding Mastery is brought to you by Cured. If there's one big rock to get into the container when it comes to dialing in your wellness, one thing that stands out among the rest is sleep. Whether it be improved physical health, mental health, performance, creativity, quality sleep is the gift that keeps on giving. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with the science that supports that. And if you're struggling with sleep or you just want to dial it in a bit further, Cured's Zen formula just might be a great solution for you. Zen is a nootropic that is formulated by Cure's very own in-house clinical herbalist, and it contains a blend of reishi mushroom, ashwagandha, chamomile, passionflower, and broad-spectrum CBD. That is a powerhouse combination. Zen could be a great little addition to your bedtime routine. They recommend taking it about 45 minutes before hopping into bed to let the reishi and ashwagandha and chamomile and the CBD do their thing. So right now, because you're listening to this podcast, Cured is hooking you up with a great offer. You can try Zen for 20% off when you visit curednutrition.com slash findingmastery and you use the code findingmastery at checkout. That's Cured, C-U-R-E-D, Cured, nutrition.com slash findingmastery and enter the code findingmastery at checkout to save 20%. This idea about it is everything, it encompasses what you do and what you say and what you think, which is another way of saying the human experience. And a big part of my efforts with world-class or the aspiring world-leading is to help them become aware 
of their thoughts, words, and actions. From awareness, then we need some a North Star, we need a bullseye, we need guardrails, we need first principles. It, all, everything I just said is another way of saying we need some targets about how are we best suited to think, to put words and action into play. What I wanted to talk to you about is that the values, virtues, character conversation is so culturally sensitive because what my neighborhood values, maybe what my region values, maybe what my country values is very different to other parts of the world. So I do want to get like on the playing on the on the chessboard, if you will, like what are mm-hmm. the the core characters or character values, or are you calling them character virtues that are important to you that you're studying? I know Aristotle had like seven or nine and um, fortitude was definitely one of them. I think you would hang your hat on that as what he was referring to as grit. But what are the main ones? And then can you thin slice the difference between character, virtue, and value? So there are lists of, you know, these, let's call them character strengths, right? But you could call them different things, but like there are lists of them, right? You know, Aristotle, mm-hmm. Benjamin Franklin had a list. I think he called them the virtues, 13. right? 13 yeah. of them, right? But then mm-hmm. there's also like the seven heavenly virtues contrasted with the seven deadly sins. And, you know, there are many lists, right? We haven't even talked about like Eastern traditions, right? So like there are lots of lists, but um in about 2000 or so, like right around the turn of the millennium, um, there were two psychologists named Marty Seligman and Chris Peterson. Um, Marty Seligman ended up being my PhD advisor a couple of years after this, but they decided to come up with the encyclopedia of character. And they took all the lists that they could find in history across religious and philosophical traditions. And they looked at what the list had in common, right? Because obviously there are little differences like, oh, this list doesn't have humor on it, but this one does. Like, look, I found temperance on these four lists or close synonyms. And what they concluded is that though there are some differences across history and across culture, there are striking commonalities. And so they came up with a list of 24 strengths um, and they have things on there like appreciation of beauty, curiosity, Uh, humility, uh, perseverance, um, you know, things that, again, if you had a blank piece of paper and you just had to list things like that, you probably would get close to the list that they um, came up with. Um, 24 is a lot, Mike. I honestly Mm -hmm. couldn't name all 24. If this were a final exam, I'm sure I wouldn't get 100%. It was like, okay, wait a second. All right, that's up to 22. Like, I don't know. So um, I I think it might be simpler to think of the categories of these places. Like, are there families? So is there a smaller number than 24? So there's been a lot of scientific research asking the question, like, are there kind of like natural bundles of character strengths that kind of like go together and are all like kind of pointing to the same thing. And um, I believe that there are really three, like three natural families of character strengths. And I'm going to call them heart, mind, and will. Um, Because like you, Mike, I think um, having a language for this that like is a little bit memorable and, you know, um, feels right is important. So let's start with heart. So these are interpersonal 
um, character strengths like generosity and kindness, like empathy and compassion, um, like honesty, because if you're honest, it affects some other person. And if you're dishonest, it also affects other people. Um, uh, these are all character strengths, which I would argue are the most important character strengths. Your strengths of heart are the ones where if you don't have them, you know, it very clearly other people than you suffer. Um, and I think when you talk to someone about someone else, like if I say, hey, Mike, you know, I want you to meet this um, you know, high performer. First thing I want to tell you about, they have great character. You probably would spontaneously think of these interpersonal strengths of heart. Um, that's actually, by the way, not what I study. And this is why I want to be humble about what I study. I mean, it's not like I study the most important dimension of character. It it's it's all these other people who study these this most important dimension. And I do want to say when I say this is a natural family, it's like people who are generous tend to be grateful. People who are grateful tend to be honest. People who are honest tend to be like. So when I say it's a family, it's like when you have certain of these character strengths, you tend to have the other ones. Um, and I do think it's all about an orientation toward like other people matter um, at the heart of all of these um, at the heart of all these strengths of heart. Um, so that's one of these families. The second family that I don't find it too difficult to remember is strengths of mind. And I think it's important to say that whether you're an athlete or, you know, one of the things that just shocked me when I got to hang out um, just a little bit with professional athletes, which I know you've done a lot of um, uh, work with in your life, is like how smart they are. I was like, oh, I didn't know you were going to be really curious, intelligent, analytic, creative, um, so I will say of athletes and non-athletes, you know, these uh, strengths are like curiosity, humility of, um, you know, especially intellectual humility, um, uh, imagination, creativity. Um, and, and these strengths, I want to tell you that like I've been doing research about labor trends, at least in the United States. And when you look at a lot of data and you ask what jobs in this country are paying more and as a trend over the last 15 years, are paying more and more. In other words, from a practical standpoint, the labor market is rewarding these jobs. They tend to be jobs that really actually have this like intellectual dimension. You know, it turns out that machines and algorithms are increasingly replacing, you know, the, the rote tasks, whether they were manual tasks or more like you know, problem solving tasks, like anything that's kind of standard, an algorithm can do it better than you can. And by the way, the algorithm works 24 seven and doesn't make any mistakes. So, so this strength of mind category, I think is increasingly important because it is uniquely human to be a creative problem solver. It is uniquely human to have curiosity about unrelated things. It is uniquely human to like have these particular strengths of mind, artificial intelligence, will not beat out, I think, human intelligence, like in this, in this particular, you know, kind of like in the, in the way that these strengths describe. So, so that's what I mean by strengths of mind. And then the last thing is what I do study, you know, strengths of will, you know, I study self-control and grit and I study optimism and growth mindset and proactivity. And, um, and I think all of these strengths are important for getting things done. Right. And I, I think as somebody who, um, you know, started out as a teacher who saw a lot of kids who were failing and they were failing out of school. They were failing my tests as a math teacher. They were not on trajectories where they were going to, you know, do well in life. I think a lot of my attention went to strengths of will because they were not doing what they could have done. Um, but when I say that it may be the least important 
family of character. It's just like, you know, I just think of my own daughters, you know, if like if they were honest and good people and they were really curious uh, and learners, but, you know, they didn't get a lot done. I mean, I, I would certainly take that as a trade off, you know, versus having them be like really gritty you know, people with no heart, you know, or, you know, really gritty people who are very close-minded. So strengths of heart, strengths of mind, strengths of will. And that's my description of them. But there's a lot of, you know, research to suggest that like, yeah, those are, you know, three defensible ways of thinking about like a complete, um, you know, roster of character. So super clear. I, I love that you've found which ones hang together. You've bundled in a way that I can easily remember as well, <laughs> heart, mind, and will. And I want to tell you an exercise I did when my son was first born that I, I think it's been a meaningful exercise for my wife and I is that uh, unsophisticated, but intentional. She wrote down a list of a bunch of come to think about it as character strengths, character values, um, we saw, I still need to get the definition from you. Oh yeah, I haven't answered this. that one. Yeah. yeah, but so we just, she wrote it on a page and I wrote it on a page and then we said, okay, let's boil them down. And then we each got to three. And what we wanted, this exercise was to try to help clarify what are the strengths that we want to um, be able to pass on and cultivate in our son. What were and they? we knew that, so I'll, I'll tell you, so we got down to two. And oh. so what, one of them actually, yeah. One of them, hang, but it's been a, it, this has been a guidepost to help us think about our thoughts, our words, and our actions towards our son, the environment that we're creating. And I want to play a game. Uh, I, I wonder if I could guess, knowing you and knowing what matters to you, I, I wonder if I could guess what three you would pick or two or three <laughs> you would pick for, for my, your kids. For, for my own children. For, for your kids, yeah. So mine was um, kindness and strength. And so strength is really strength. about courage and uh, to do the hard thing, the fortitude to stay with it when it's Rit. hard. Yeah, yeah, right. And so that that's where strength comes. And then uh, kindness is exactly what it sounds like, right? And so those are the two that guide us. And so um, anyways, I, I didn't have a third category. <laughs> I didn't have the buckets that you that's had. That's good though. Kindness so, and strength. It's even, it's even um, better. Well, you didn't, so you what you didn't mention, right? Like, so you didn't mention... Um, curiosity or, you know, love of learning, et cetera. Right. It, it like, was on it the is, list. It was, it was like on it's the on, list, it was but you had to prioritize. List. Yeah. We're like, okay, let's, let's focus on two. And maybe what we do now is we, we open it up and focus on a third one. Cause by the age of 13, he's got some, he's got those two pretty well grooved, you know, we've been yeah. pretty relentless with it, but now we maybe open up another two or, or whatever. But let, can I guess what I think yours? Yeah, your, this is great. What, Go for okay. it. I wrote, I wrote, I know what I I think I know what I think. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So for heart, uh, will is easy, right? Shouldn't that be one easy for you that you're going to teach grit? Uh, yeah. And I have to say like, yeah, if, if we, if we teach by example, then like, yeah, they right. see a lot of grit and yeah, I would be lying if, if it weren't, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a value. I, and so strength of mind, um, I think you leaked it when you said, oh, you didn't have curiosity. So, and I know you to be really curious and to be intellectually curious and, you know, to be like, well, where does that come from and how does that work? So I would imagine, I would imagine curiosity. Yeah, that's good. I'm going to give you and, a point for that one too. So two out of two. Okay. And heart. Yeah. Which one do you think I picked for heart? Um, give me three and I'll, 
I bet I could get the one. <laughs> okay. You said kindness. Um, I'm just going to, I don't know exactly how you mean kindness, like, um, but I'll, I'll use that sometimes with generosity. Um, there's gratitude. Um, and in strengths of heart, I would also count like honesty. So you could call it, you know, generosity, gratitude, honesty, which of those do you think? I, I think we're like-minded in this way. I'm going to go with kindness. Yeah, you got it. Oh my gosh, Mike, you know me so well. I would have, yeah, I would have, um, uh, you know, said that, but I actually literally wrote it down just to keep myself, you know, just keeping it, <laughs> keeping the score here. Like I would, yeah, I would have been honest in my reporting, but yeah. And if I had to rank order ours, right. Like which of those is most important. I mean, I think for me, probably, you know, kindness, like, you know, I just, it was really important to me. I actually worried once I, uh, older daughter was like, I had made banana bread for her like preschool teachers or something. And we were like packing it up and she was like, no, I want to keep this. And I was like, no, no, this is for your teachers. She's like, but I don't want to give the banana bread to the teachers. I want to keep it. <laughs> and it was like, oh no, my daughter is going to grow up to be an unkind person. But yeah, no, I have to say that what I'm most proud of, I think, is that my my daughters really are like kind, you know, spontaneously, I think authentically, you know, wanting to uh, like take care of their friends and make a small positive dent in the universe. Um, there is something though, I have to say of late, I have recognized as being really important. So it wasn't spontaneously what I wrote down myself or thought about, but, mm -hmm. but I do think more and more that honesty is really important. And um, uh, we haven't talked about my husband, but um, my husband really of the two of us, I think is the better parent. And um, uh, you know, thinking about honesty you know, the pandemic has been hard and the pandemic has, there's research on this, you know, when people are in a stressed state, um, you know, it's easier to cut corners. It's easier to justify, you know, a little cheating here, a little fib there. Um, and um, with my daughters who are now kind of like 18 and 20, I mean, they're like young adults, right? They're like not in our house anymore, at least, right? They're like, you know, just what they see happening. And like, like, I was like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't cheat. Right. Like, and they were like, mom, like nobody who is a daughter of Jason would ever cheat. And I was like, yeah, that's true. So I have <laughs> lately come to, they didn't say me, by the Angela. way. <laughs> I know they didn't say like a daughter okay. of, I was waiting for it. It's like, yeah, but I already knew. I was like, yeah, Jason. Um, yeah. My husband is as square as they could be. Uh, as as a human being could be. So anyway, I think these character strengths, you know, are guideposts. Like they are, they are things that like parents to be or parents who are, or like any of us are like, what do I want to do in 2022? I mean, what better way to set a New Year's resolution? You know, rather than like, I want to lose five pounds. I want to like, what about your values? Like the, the ones that you want to say, at the end of the year, like I lived that life, right? Aristotle said that character is life well lived. Like that was the year 2022 that I lived. And I'm going to answer your question now about values versus character. So when I said that, you know, around the turn of the millennium, right around 2000, that these two psychologists, Chris Peterson and Marty Seligman, decided to come up with the encyclopedia of character. And there's literally a chapter for each of the character strengths, right? They're 24. Um, they decided on the title for the book to be Values in Action. And their definition of 
character is the values that you hold dear. So the principles that you hold to be, you know, more important, the aspirational principles that you would like to say that you live your life by. Maybe you don't, maybe you haven't yet, but these are the things you believe to be the most important. So of higher priority than other things. Um, These are your values, but values in action is character. So if you really think honesty is important, but you don't enact honesty, then you can value honesty, but you do not have the character strength of honesty. So I, I thought that was a very carefully chosen an apt title for this encyclopedia of character. Um, And I think it's a good way of us to think about character because it is not just aspirational. um, It is also, you know, only enacted, you know, you can only have character by enacting character. Finding Mastery is brought to you by AG1. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know what a big supporter I am of AG1. And it's almost been for a decade now. So I love what they're doing. It's something I drink just about every day. And part of their marketing slogan is that it's a nutritional insurance program. And like, I just, I love that. That's the way it feels for me. And that's because each serving of AG1 delivers a dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and so much more. It is a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. I like to take it first thing in the morning which is also recommended for optimal nutrient absorption. So what I do is I just fill up my shaker, add some cold water, a scoop of AG1, and a little squeeze of lemon. I shake it up, and I'm ready to go. Or if I'm in a rush or I'm, I'm ripping and running on the road, I just grab an AG1 travel pack to take with me. I feel great after drinking it, not only because of the nutritional insurance idea, but there's just a There's a sustenance that happens when I drink it. And I love recommending it to friends and family because I know AG1 is formulated with science-informed rigor and the highest quality in mind. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. And that's why I've loved partnering with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, I want to encourage you to give AG1 a try and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and also get five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash findingmastery. Again, that's drinkag1.com slash findingmastery. Finding Mastery is brought to you by AquaTrue. We all know how important hydration is to performance and recovery and well-being, but it's not just about how much you drink. The quality of your water plays a big role. And if you're like me and you don't fully trust tap water, and I think for good reason, research by the Environmental Working Group has shown that three out of four homes in the U.S. have harmful contaminants in tap water. That's why I'm really excited to introduce AquaTrue. Their purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters. It's incredible. I can literally taste the difference in my water. Plus, the filters are affordable and long-lasting. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That adds up to less than three cents per bottle. It feels great to know that all at once, I'm saving money, getting the highest quality water for the Finding Mastery team, and helping make a positive impact on the environment by eliminating single-use plastics all the way around. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and it even makes a great gift. And right now, because you're a Finding Mastery listener, 
you receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. So just go to AquaTrue.com. You spell it A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code FINDINGMASTERY at checkout. Again, that's AquaTrue.com. Enter the Finding Mastery code at checkout to receive 20% off any purifier that you buy there. Two parts to that. One is we put values in action in our online course. And it's a- Oh, you Sevilla. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's a resource that people can, can go in there and just- figure out, you know, like you get the, 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 their scores, the right? They get their signature yeah. strengths. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so it, it's, it's from that standpoint, it's great. And then on the honesty bit, I think that honesty, this is personal, right? Like I don't have data, so I'm not speaking from a data mind here, but for me, honesty, it, of course it's a value, but to do so when it's hard to do so requires courage. And so that's why I laddered back to strength. Yeah, I was going to say, like, why did you say strength? And like, what do you mean by courage? Like, what is courage for you then? Like, what is, what is that? Courage is like doing the noble thing when it's hard to do it and having the courage to, in modern times, like what I'm teaching him is to know who he is, to know his core values and to live authentically that even when it's hard to do so. And so it's courage to speak. It's courage to speak. Truth, maybe courage to so act. So that term that, that you've are... chosen, courage, is that because the enemy is fear? Like, is that what makes it difficult? Is that you have to overcome fear to like tell the truth or to do the mm-hmm. right thing? Yeah, I think I think I think we are struggling um, professionally with, and not just our profession, but leadership in general. I think courage is something that is hard for people to do. Can you have courage and also have compassion? So Mm -hmm. like on Thursday nights, um, I've been teaching this class of high school students. So it's kind of like finding mastery type stuff, but for high school students. And um, uh, we were actually talking about generosity and paying it forward. So these high school students are giving examples of, you know, being nice. It's like taking care of your best friend, you know, helping with the dishes. More than one of them says trading homework. And I was like, trading homework, like, like you're not allowed to trade homework. (laughs) It's a euphemism for cheating. And then they were like, you know, explaining these circumstances, but also they were like, this is a really hard year. Like, this is really like, we're exhausted. Like we are tired and like, you know, and I was like, you know what, you know, it is exactly when you are tired, exactly when you're exhausted is exactly when you are stressed that like, I think it becomes more important to remind yourself, you know, like what is the right thing to do? And, you know, I guess under certain very narrow circumstances, trading homework would be okay. Under many circumstances, that's called cheating and it's Mm -hmm. not okay. So I think it's interesting. And there is research on this that, you know, when people are feeling stressed out, they are more likely to endorse cheating and to cheat. So, so I do think that like this idea of courage, like, I don't know if it's fear or like, I, I I did want to unpack that a little bit. Like, what what is the enemy to be overcome? You know, is it fear or is it fatigue? It's interesting. I I never thought about it in terms of enemies, but it would be fear and fatigue are two of the culprits to potential, because when we're when we are fatigued and we're deeply afraid of something, it's like it puts this heavy blanket on passion. It puts this heavy blanket on being agile to adjust to the unfolding, unpredictable world around us. And so um, fear and fatigue, if you're going to call them enemies, those are the ones that I am relentlessly working 
with people and businesses to help them um, have tools and perspectives and practices to be able to work with that, to go upstream to fear, to go upstream to fatigue and get the practices right so that we're not chronic in both. And courage is a, um, I think it's, I don't know this to be true, but I think it's got to be, at least for me, the, um, the key pin where it's like a lot starts here with courage. And you think of it as a, you think of it as a skill? Um, yeah, it's courage. I can practice courage. I think, I think that's another aspect of, you know, so let's say character includes grit, but it includes courage and includes generosity, includes all these things. Mm-hmm. I think one other difference between a value and a character strength is a character strength is a value in action. So you can practice it and you can watch you somebody go. else do it and be like, oh, like that. I mean, there's like actually strategies, right? I, I've heard um, read this like tiny little book on creativity, which is not something we've been talking about, but it would be a strength of mind, right? And it was by John Cleese. I think he's like the Monty Python, one of the Monty Python guys. It's like as slim as your pinky, but it's, it's one of those books where you like, you pick it up in a bookstore and like, you sort of feel guilty because by the time you want to buy it, you've like literally read the whole thing. I did buy it by the way. But anyway, like it was a really interesting perspective on creativity. It was like creativity is a decision. It's a choice. It's a skill. It's a strategy. It's not just something, it's not just a gift. Right. So I I love this um, language about character as being, you know, something you can practice, something you can get, you know, better at, you know, something that you could like read about and like, get better at it just because you, you know, read about how somebody else is doing it. Um, so I think those are some of the reasons that it's different from values. Let's talk about just creativity for just a thread here is that I think it requires courage to be creative, to say, or to see, or to express something differently. And if creativity is, it was new to me and innovation, it's new to others. I, I still think it comes back to some courage to be able to explore the new to me. And certainly to explore the new to others, you know, the innovation part. So again, I'm laddering back to courage. That being said, I want to come, I want to make sure I'm hearing what you're saying correctly is that character and virtues and values. So can you, can you summarize those quickly as just like bang, bang, bang? So virtues, I think, and character strengths are basically synonyms. Like I think virtues just sound so... I don't know. Some people love the language of virtues, but other people, it just, it sounds a little bit like somebody's wagging a finger at you, um, okay. like with a very like high lace collar on or something like, so I'm just going to pass on the virtue definition because I think of it as the same thing um, maybe a highfalutin word or something. Um, uh, but character and values, I think has that distinction. Character is like the, all the things that you habitually do think, say, and feel that are good for others and good for you. So your character should be, I hope, like a work in progress your whole life. You know, not just like Mike's kind or Mike's not kind, but like Mike is getting kinder. You know, Mike is already kind, but working on kindness in 2022. So, um, so, so that's to me what character is. These like ways of thinking, acting, feeling, and doing that that um, we're saying, I guess that 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 benefit others and yourself that, that you can continue to cultivate your whole life, but they really are in action. So they're not just sort of like thoughts you have. They're not just beliefs. They're, 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 they're enacted. And then values I do think are like the aspirational principles by which you would hope to live your life. Right. I mean, you really can value kindness and not be kind, but you cannot have the strength of kindness or the character strength of kindness or the virtue of kindness without actually doing kind acts. 
Very cool. Now let's get into the applied part of this. How do you help people develop their character? Do you say, first know your natural strengths and then pick two or three that you want to get better at and practice and train those? Or like, how, how do Yeah. What like the, what's the what's roadmap? The like, how do you yeah. do this? Um, yep. I do think, and I think we share this, but you tell me if I'm wrong. I do think that number one, before all, there is self-awareness. You know, as my own therapist will tell me, like your homework is to notice, you know, like how you're feeling this week, like just to notice. So I think noticing your strengths, noticing your weaknesses, I think that is the very first step to any kind of growth. Do you, do you agree with that, Mike? Uh, step one is I don't go strengths and weaknesses. I'll go developed, still developing. <laughs> right? That's, so, better. That's, I, better. Yeah, that's better. That's better. That's better. Yeah. That's better yeah, language. And I, but I can get around weakness. It's like when you put somebody in a stress test and they lie, well, there's a weakness. In no, the, I like the, your language, but like, I think yeah. what we're agreeing is that there's this kind of like awareness. self-awareness, right? Like, you know, like, and you could ask other it all people. Begins. Yeah. It right? all like, begins with awareness. It, it always begins like, with awareness and you kind of can't go very far <laughs> without it. So it's like necessary, but not sufficient. I think it's, uh, you've gone a long way when you have like some self-awareness. Okay. So in terms of, you know. So wait, wait, hold yeah. on. Because you, you're saying something, um, we are more aligned here than than maybe you might've thought, but I have had some, I don't want to say scar tissue, but like I've had some arrows in my back because I, for years I've been saying, listen, there's three practices that I'm aware of to increase awareness. Mindfulness, call it meditation, um, journaling and conversations with people of wisdom. And so all of that is to notice more, to become more, those three practices will help people become more aware. And I've said um, very publicly is that mindfulness is not alone. Oh, I totally agree. I think mindfulness is one route. Oh I mean, like journaling, you're right. Like, so there is some magical thing with language. Like, I, I, I don't know where the human species would be without language, but like there is something um, reflective that we can do while we're writing. Um, you know, the very word essay means to try in French. And there, there is this theory, like when you're writing, it's like you're right. My mother used to say to me when I was a little girl, it's like when you're writing, you're thinking, and when you're thinking, you're writing. So I think journaling, this thing about conversation, I mean, I don't know how expansive your thought is, but I absolutely think there is, when I teach a course at my university and I say like, you know, where does growth come from? I say like, you are all going to write in this course every week, you're going to have a weekly reflection. Um, and um, that's part of it. I don't assign mindfulness or meditation, but we like dabble a little bit in that. But the other thing that I think is very important is conversation. I don't know how expansive you are. I don't know if you mean like conversation with like great thinkers through reading. I really literally mean conversation. I mean like this conversation. I mean like if you want to become more self-aware, it's not only that you talk to Mike about your like principles of finding mastery, but also like you talk to your sister about like what she sees in you as your superpowers. You know, I think there's so much, I think human beings were like, you know, designed as it were, like we have evolved to learn about ourselves through conversations with people that Thousand, we love. Yeah. You and I are completely aligned there. And then can we, can we slightly pivot towards developing practices to develop resilient high character kids. And, yeah, I, and so, I, I just mm -hmm. mixed two things together, but. Um, yeah, well, like, let's it, say that resilience is a facet of character, right? It's like okay. something that's good for you and good for others. It's like, you can practice it. You can value, like, so um, 
I think resilience in particular, because let's just um, talk about that in particular. I, I think I have wondered, you know, there are these stories of people who everybody else gives up and they don't. And for me, I'm always wondering, why didn't the person give up? Like what, like what was going on in their head? And the best answer that I can give you today is that they don't think it's hopeless. Okay, why? I think that resilience comes from a history of wins. I really do. Like, I think it comes from, I tried and it worked. Like I tried again and it worked. I tried it, I tried again. And we're now, of course, it probably also comes from I tried and it didn't work. Like, but but um, I I read this study of Outward Bound, which is a you know leadership program that I know you know about. Maybe not mm-hmm. everyone does. Like, they take you out to the wilderness, and it can be for a day. It's often for weeks, and it's very very difficult. It's also something that like at times you might even fear for your life, even though it's actually strictly not dangerous. And Outward Bound has these amazing long-term effects, at least in some research studies. Like two years later, people are more self-confident. They have more self-awareness. They are better working in teams and so forth. So I read this study that said like, okay, let's ask people who have gone on Outward Bound, like from this laundry list of things that it could have been that helped them. Like, what about it? Was was it being outdoors? Was it like, you know, these conversations, like the number one thing and the last thing on this list of like, what helped you? The number one thing was uh, learning from overcoming things successfully. The bottom thing, the thing they said they learned the least from was um, failing but not having it resolve in, in success. So I, I think that resilience, I know we want to teach our children to learn how to fail. And of course, that is at the heart of it. But I think the paradox there is that what builds their confidence is striving and seeing that they have agency, you know, like trying and then finding that it did work out. So so I think as a parent, I have you know tried to make sure that my daughters experience struggle and that if they fail, they fail and that it's nothing to fear because they go through it. But I also really think that people have to have small wins. Otherwise, where does the confidence come from? Why should they hope that they can do something if they have never been taught through experience that that's true? What's your favorite question to ask your kids or kids in general? What's my favorite question to ask kids in general? Well, there's a form of question um, uh, I really like to ask my daughters, you know, Lucy and Amanda, like about people they, they really admire. Like if they have a friend, you know, that they're spending a lot of time with, um, you know, like, like why, like, what do they admire in them? Um, I guess it's a way of asking like, you know, what, well, in a way, I guess it could be anything, right? They could admire that like Hannah has really great hair or something, right? Or like, you know, Joanna is really good at math or something, but they but they tend interestingly, spontaneously to talk about character. Like, you know, who's kind, like who's principled, you know, like who's selfless, like who's brave. Um, so I like to ask people, actually, I like to ask all people about who they, when I started doing research on grit, the best way to find out about, um, you know, what makes somebody successful is not to ask them about themselves because, you know, we edit, we like, you know, self-deprecate, you know, but to ask people about the people they most admire, like go ask a Nobel prize winning economist, 
whom they most admire and why. And you will have a very long and rich conversation that reveals a lot about, you know, what that person sees and what they value themselves. One of my favorite questions to guess on this in these conversations is to say, if you had a chance to sit with one true master, who would it be? Where would it be? And if you only had one question, what would it be? But it starts with who. And so can, can I ask you, like, if, if you could sit with one true master, who would that be? Okay, I'm going to give you the first person that leaps to mind, but there's, of course, a long list. But there is a guy uh, now long dead named Benjamin Bloom. You probably know who this psychologist was. He was at University of Chicago. He actually, you know, finding mastery, like arguably was like the architect of just this whole idea that learning should be mastery oriented, right? That you shouldn't go on to the next thing and to get the last thing. But he did this study called Developing Talent in Young People, where he followed 120 high performers. He didn't really follow them. He actually interviewed them like when they were already um, accomplished and some of them were in retirement. But I unearthed this interview that he had done, I mean, decades ago now, right? Because this is all well in the you know rearview mirror for history. And he just seemed like the kindest person who basically spent his whole life trying to identify, you know, what are the foundational skills for mastery? And like the thing in this interview that just struck me and did make me want to like resurrect him from the dead so that I could have dinner with him and learn from him was he was like, I truly believe he's like, I'm not saying that everybody could be anything, but I truly believe that there is just enormous untapped potential in all human beings. And if we could identify the conditions to bring that out, like then, you know, we would really have like a world worth living in. And I was like, Benjamin Bloom, come back from the dead. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, that's really good. Can we, we're up on in the hour here, but I just want to ask a couple more questions about character gone wrong or not fully developed. Like most people I know are saying, oh man, this is awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, that I do that too. And I want that for my children and I want that for me too. And, but you know, I know lots of people that are jealous. They lead with envy. They, um, they like to tear people down as a, as a default. They, they lack moral courage in so many ways. So like, and they came from good parents, you know, like what happened? character is not just aspirational. There's bad character too, if we're going to use good and bad. Like, so can you just talk a little bit about that piece too? Well, look, confession. So I'm on the boat and my mom is there and I don't know whether she's going to live and she's barely breathing. She barely has a pulse. And I was of course praying to God. What else do you do? Right. I was praying to God. I was like, I don't even pray, but like, God, if there's a God, like, like let my mother live. And this is what I promised God. And I don't know why I did was like, I won't be jealous anymore. I was like, after I got off the boat, I'm like, what the hell is that? Like, like, yeah, there you go. Who right. am I jealous of? Like, mm-hmm. happily married, like pretty successful. Like, what? So anyway, I, I, I don't know. We'll have to unpack that in many subsequent therapy sessions. But <laughs> I, I do think um, there's like two kinds of bad character. Like, there's the bad character you know you have, and there's the bad character you don't even know you have. And that's probably you know talking about self awareness, like the one you really have to worry about, right? Like, I have lo- known for a very long time, Mike. And it hasn't come out in our interactions, but I really do have like a terrible temper. You know, I'm like one of those volcanoes that only erupts 
once every few years, but like when I do, it's like, get out of the way. Cause people are going to like, you know, melt. Right. So mm. I have a terrible temper and that is something to work on. Uh, and I have worked on it very deliberately because of self-awareness. I'm like, Oh, I know I have a terrible temper. Like when things are not right, if somebody who works for me doesn't do something to my standard of excellence, like don't lose your temper. Like it's terrible. Um, but then there are the limitations of my character that I have no conscious awareness of. Like, where the hell did the jealousy come, come out of? Like, what part of my deep subconscious is obviously <laughs> obsessing about what other people have that I don't that is somewhere there, like smoldering? So I guess I think of bad character in those two ways. And I think that maybe the people in my life who have shown me aspects of my bad character that I was really unaware of are like actually my own children, you know, like, um, I remember like calling down to the hotel front desk from a vacation one, like I was like just indignant that our expensive hotel room hadn't been made up in like three days since like, you know, and I'd call down every day and I hang up the phone and my both daughters are in chorus are like, you are incredibly unkind. And I was like, that's not true. I'm the head of character lab. And they're like, you were just mean. And I was like, I wasn't mean. Look at this. Like, they're like, yes, you were. And there's a poor human being who has no control over the housekeeping services in this understaffed hotel. And you, rich woman, are uh, being mean. You're unkind. And I was like, you know what? facts. Like I had, you know, it took me a while, by the way. I'm not a saint. I was just like, mm, I'm defensive, I, you know. After a few days, I was like, you know what? That is a limitation of my character that I was completely unable to see it was in my blind spot. So if you have children in your life, God bless you, because they will point out your character limitations. But if you have anybody in your life, I think these are good questions to ask. Like, what do you see as my superpowers? And what are some, what did you say? Like developing strengths, mm -hmm. like uh, whatever language you want to use. But um, anyway, I, I think of bad character in that way. I really worry about what I don't know. So you're saying, you're saying, listen, the anecdote for that, people that have behavioral patterns, character, or lack of virtues and values, that really what's, what's taking place is they're either unaware or they don't care. And there are people that, um, there's a saying, you know, what is it? Um, nice guys finish last. Nice people finish last. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's some, I think there's some truth to that. I think it's much harder to do the thing excellently and to also have character virtues or you know aspirational character in place. Yeah, I think that's why like like aspirational values and character and like you know having a self concept of somebody who's trying. Like I know that old people always use hashtags wrong or so I'm told by young people they're like whenever you're using a hashtag or the word TikTok you're wrong. Like just stop trying to but anyway Sometimes I sign my emails like hashtag work in progress because I know I screwed up or like I don't like I really do think having OK, whatever way you want to put it, like just having a self-concept of somebody who is developing. Right. Somebody who is aspiring, somebody who's like not perfect, but trying, you know, like I I I am definitely not perfect. But I, I have to say there aren't many days that go by where I'm not trying yeah, like there's a phrase my wife passes on to me, which is like, hey, we're all just trying to figure it out. It's like so super refreshing, like just that. Yeah. It's like a breath Deep, of fresh. It's, it's got like sort of, you know, layer. It sounds kind of like a like a glib thing to say. It's pretty deep, actually. Yeah, it's actually it. pretty deep. It's pretty yeah. deep. Okay, knowing we know you, 
right? Like you, you are um, transparent in a in a way, in a manner of strength. And so, what 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 is exciting you for next? What are you seeing? Because you're uh, amazing in your ability to, to be introspective, go into the laboratory, put those two together, and then create. So, what do you want to next? So, one of the things that I've really been I don't know, excited or just like frustrated by is that like in a lot of things that I've done as a researcher, you know, I can help people learn how to set goals or make plans and make these tiny little differences in their lives, which disappear in a few months. And I was like, why doesn't this stick? You know what I mean? It's like kind of like watching the first snow of the winter and you're like, God, well, at least in the part of the country where I live, it's like, why isn't it sticking? Like, why isn't it accumulating? And I think you know, something that you're onto as well, Mike, I think that like building like a deep, you know, like metacognitive foundation, like basically I think my whole life's work really might be adding up to like increased psychological literacy. Right. And just like nobody can learn French or calculus in a day and like expect to have like a 20 minute intervention. And it's like, Oh, now I know how to play tennis. Like now I know calculus. Like I think this kind of psychological literacy, which to me is how I think of you, right. Somebody who's like helping us all become a little more psychologically literate, self-aware about Mm. ourselves, understand others, understand like these principles that are at work. Like to me, that's what I'm excited about next. So not like 20 minute interventions or little nudges here, but really like helping to, make us all a little psychologically wiser, self-included. And I know it doesn't solve all the world's problems, but imagine a place where our political leaders, you know, our industry leaders, our classroom teachers, our like neighborhood cops, like our whatever, like we're really just psychologically wise. They understood emotion. They understood, you know, when people are insecure, what happens to us when we do things out of fear? Like, you know, how do we build these things? Like, I don't know. It's a pretty great world. So I think that's where I'm hoping to go. I want to do that with you. Whatever, whatever <laughs> way. Yes. Team. Yes. I want Teamwork to do makes that the dream work. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, that is awesome. Okay. Listen, Angela, thank you. And, um, where can people plug in, connect, learn from uh, you? What's the best? What's the best resource? So I am on social media, including Twitter, but I would love people to visit Character Lab, uh, characterlab.org. We started with character, we'll end with character, Mike, and uh, it's a nonprofit. Uh, so everything on there is actionable advice based on psychological science and free because it's supported uh, philanthropically. And I want to loop it right back around to say. How did the event in the boat or in the water, how did the event in the water change your character? You know, I don't know that like I've become any better of a person, you know, in the short course of, you know, a few harrowing uh, days and weeks. But I will say this, I, I really want to be a better person. I was like, oh, turns out life is definitely finite. And there was a blessing. Uh, and so I get a little more time with my mom and I, I guess I have some time myself, but like, you know what, there will be a day where my mom's not here and I'm not here. And like, because life is short, um, you know, I hope that I can, uh, you know, be a work in progress a little, a little more intentionally um, than I was, you know, maybe like not really as consciously aware of um, the finiteness of, of life. You know, um, every year I do a thing uh, in our whole community, it's the year of, and we pick one or two words, like, what are you really going to commit yourself to? And so for me, this is the year of play. 
I run pretty, yeah, I, I'm intense, you know? And so like, I want to play more. So could you give me one way to practice play? Uh, you know, I heard this definition of a play. It's the voluntary overcoming of unnecessary obstacles. And it never left me. And that's not my definition. I heard somebody else say it like Jane McGonigal or something, right? Like the uh, voluntary overcoming of unnecessary obstacles. And it made me think that what work is, is sometimes the feeling of an involuntary overcoming of necessary obstacles. And I think blessed are us who can uh, blur that distinction because it's like, you know, uh, what, what you're doing as your work, like other people would, you know, like, like watch you and feel like, you know, it's play. And I think it's, it's just that like, if in 2022, we can find ways to do things that feel more voluntary, like maybe they need to get done, but like, we feel like we have, the choice and that we've made it. Um, and then to consider these obstacles as, you know, like when you have something that's really difficult in your life and it's really like, like hard and like, like if you could actually have a play mindset, right? Like what is the, how, how thin can we make that line between the involuntary overcoming of necessary obstacles and the voluntary overcoming of unnecessary obstacles? Um, I think the people that I admire most, you know, the line is very thin indeed. Epic framework and reframe. Angela, you are the best. Thank you for your time and your graciousness. Um, and I really appreciate our friendship. So thank you. Mike, thank you so much. To be continued. All right. Thank you so much for diving into another episode of Finding Mastery with us. Our team loves creating this podcast and sharing these conversations with you. We Really appreciate you being part of this community. And if you're enjoying the show, the easiest no-cost way to support is to hit the subscribe or follow button wherever you're listening. Also, if you haven't already, please consider dropping us a review on Apple or Spotify. We are incredibly grateful for the support and feedback. If you're looking for even more insights, we have a newsletter we send out every Wednesday. Punch over to findingmastery.com slash newsletter to sign up. This show wouldn't be possible without our sponsors, and we take our recommendations seriously, and the team is very thoughtful about making sure we love and endorse every product you hear on the show. If you want to check out any of our sponsor offers you heard about in this episode, you can find those deals at findingmastery.com slash sponsors. And remember, no one does it alone. The door here at Finding Mastery is always open to those looking to explore the edges and the reaches of their potential so that they can help others do the same. So join our community, share your favorite episode with a friend, and let us know how we can continue to show up for you. Lastly, as a quick reminder, information in this podcast and from any material on the Finding Mastery website and social channels is for information purposes only. If you're looking for meaningful support, which we all need, one of the best things you can do is to talk to a licensed professional. So seek assistance from your healthcare providers. Again, a sincere thank you for listening. Until next episode, be well, think well, and keep exploring.